A podcaster's note. This episode of Where to Begin with Jalla will feature heavy spoilers of the movie Bay of Blood from 1971. If you've never seen this movie before, or looking forward to submitting a review and to take part of this show in this series, then stop now, go away and watch the film. However, if you've seen the movie before, or you don't care about spoilers, then just keep listening on. Don't say you weren't warned. Welcome to the season finale of Where to Begin With, this first season looking at Jallo Cinema. I'm your host Duncan McLeish, welcome. We are concluding this season by returning to the work of the maestro Mario Bava in a movie which is part Jallo, part slasher, part ridiculous comedy and a movie that, well let's just be honest, instead of trying to guess the killer, prompts the answer, who isn't the killer in this movie? Before we get into discussing 
Bay of Blood, a.k.a. Twitch of the Death Nerve. I just want to thank everyone who has checked out Where to Begin With in its inaugural season. I've had a ton of fun putting these movies together, curating a list of 10 movies which cover what I consider to be entry points in Jallo Cinema. I've given you a list of now 10 movies after this episode concludes that I think are great building blocks to start expanding your knowledge. They've covered some of the bigger names in the subgenre, some of the lesser known directors who have turned in some incredible efforts, but first and foremost, giving you an experience from everything doubling down to the classic formula set out by the likes of Argento way back on episode 1 with Bird with the Crystal Plumage, straight through into surreal cinema, hints of the supernatural and downright disturbing mysteries. It's the beauty of the genre itself as it encompasses a lot, whilst at the same time not being completely, at times, adhering to a strict formula. Now you could argue, and I would probably agree with you, the best ones are the ones that stick true to that template. The ones that realise that Bird with the Crystal Plumage is a great blueprint for Jallo Cinema. That being said though, the beauty is how other directors and other scriptwriters and storytellers would take that template and mould it and form brand new stories from the well, let's put it this way, very basic building blocks of this sort of mystery. Now, what is interesting about this final selection here is that way back on episode one, we were talking about Mario Bava. We were stating a claim about Blood and Black Lace, saying that, you know, it's the precursor, it's the one that first does jalo and that bright garish colours, and Argento would take that, move forward at pace, and make his own version, which would receive all the international success. What's interesting about this is one year removed from Bird with a Crystal Plumage, Bava returns to another giallo, but symbolically speaking, in the first five minutes of this movie, we reveal our black glove killer and kill him off, almost as if what Bava, he himself, is saying is, I'm killing off the creation that I have made. And then what follows from that point is an interesting back and forth murder mystery that looks at youth overthrowing the patriarchy uh, for for wealth, for influence and for fun. The movie is hugely influential and it's worth spending a bit of time up front capturing this aspect in that what it is for all intents and purposes, is a very early blueprint to what would become the Friday the 13th slasher formula. What we have here is people that live in and around a lake or a bay, think Camp Crystal Lake, and a lot of death violently off screen and on screen in ways which would be replicated specifically in those Friday the 13th movies, particularly part two, which almost wholesale rips off two of the deaths in this movie. The two deaths I'm speaking about is one where a spear is impaled through two lovers making out, and the second being that glorious machete to the head. 
Both those scenes replicated in Friday the 13th Part 2, which I think doubles down to its immense influence, but didn't stop there. A lot of the very early 80s slasher show hints that the directors or writers himself had, at some point, seen a grindhouse copy in a grindhouse cinema of Twitch of the Death Nerve, which is what this movie was known in the States. Great name for a great movie. The central premise here is about, you know, kids killing their parents to acquire their very lucrative estate in order to sell it off. And then the murder mystery spans it from there as people in or around involvement with this property are also killed off. You have an incredible score here which is very playful, whimsical and very classical to the genre. At times it gets very... Not quite Morricone, but it's doing a little wink and a nudge to some of the scores that you would have had from the maestro then as well. But coupled with the really playful and inventive script of Dardano Sacchetti, it makes for a really interesting viewing. Now, I personally own the Arrow Blu-ray of this and... Sarchetti is interviewed and talks about how much fun he had working with Bava on this premise, how playful and ingenious Bava was at times, but how there was a great emphasis on the fact that the movie would have 13 kills. Once again, think Friday the 13th, it's just, it's all tying up into a nice, neat bow. Those 13 kills themselves were carefully orchestrated by the writer and director, and Bava was responsible for most of the iconic ones himself, once again solidifying that the director was ahead of his time and incredibly inventive and influential on the genre as a whole. So you have that aspect. Like I mentioned before, you have an amazing score here by Capriani, who kind of in a lot of respects is doing the kind of classic Ennio Morricone stuff, but it's a bit more swooping and and uh, and realised, I think. On top of that as well, the idea that this movie opens, and I mentioned it earlier on, this movie would open with this um, scene of the older woman being killed by the black glove killer, and then the camera revealing who this killer was, is incredibly jarring. It, it essentially undoes what every giallo would have done to this point. Now, I know what you're thinking. 1971 is only one year after Bird with a Crystal Plumage. How, pray tell, could you be in a position where you've got so many movies to break the formula? Simple fact was there was, by the time, like, 71 had finished, there was a ton of giallos. And what was interesting is how quickly... Bava himself is kind of looking at being playful with that genre, almost anticipating that it's going to get quite tired within a year. And that killer himself, who has killed this older lady, is then subsequently murdered himself. And then it is a chain reaction of death upon death throughout this movie. It works really, really, really well. And in a lot of respects... Well, the movie itself, I think, was originally known as Chain Reaction, which I think kind of speaks to the the ideas behind it. But what you also have here is a very fun script and a very fun, playful manner. Bava himself had a sense of humour, had worked on a lot of comedies, and 
he himself feeds that into his movies, which is why when the iconic ending happens, which I won't spoil here, it's difficult not to crack a smile and plant your tongue firmly in your cheek. It just works in a way which makes me kind of think it's as heavily ahead of its time. The movie did not do well in Italy. It did, in fact, for lack of a better word, shit in Italy. But really kind of found its mark in America, but was mostly under different names. Twitch of the Death Nerve being the most famous one. Bay of Blood itself would find its its way onto the video Nasties list, um, which is quite surprising because that list was curated some 13 years after the movie was made, but it would find itself on there. The movie was also known as Carnage, uh, which is kind of funny. A lot of the trailers that you see for this movie refer to it as Carnage, but it was also released as The Last House on the Left 2, um, or Part 2, or New House on the Left as well. All of that seems a bit nuts. We've already kind of discussed uh, Aldo Lado and Short Night at Glass Dolls, but when you look at uh, Night Train Murders, the movie that he would make after Short Night at Glass Dolls, that movie was also tagged as, you know, New Last House on the Left and Last House on the Left Part 2 as well. Because these were movies that you could market to a pre-made audience of people that were expecting something a little bit nasty. And I kind of love it because of that. The movie has a huge impact moving forward. Specifically on directors within the genre. Specifically American directors in the genre. You would very easily and quickly note that there is a very high body count in this one which hadn't really been seen in Jaws up to this point. And that's replicated in slasher cinema in the 80s. Directors themselves, the likes of a Joe Dante or a Wes Craven, to an extent someone like an Edgar Wright, look back fondly on this movie and talk about how they pay homage to it in their movies, whether it's a movie like Scream, for example, or in interviews with Edgar Wright, doubling down on the fact that when he was shooting Spaced, this was a movie he watched regularly on set. It carries a, a very important legacy, not in Jallo. And I think that's what makes it interesting. Jallo, for all intents and purposes, for my standings, is the precursor to slashers. I, without it, I don't think you get slasher movies. I don't think you get them in the intake that we had in the very late 70s and early 80s. And this movie is one of those templates. It's also a movie like Torso by Sergio Martino is also kind of doing the same sort of thing. It's the kind of siege of a killer upon some girls and the final girl, etc. This movie doesn't have the aspects of the final girl per se, but what it definitely does have is a lasting legacy through movies like Just Before Dawn or The Burning. It's a phenomenal piece of cinema which shows Bava at his at times most dangerous and yet most playful and all that is summed up specifically at the end which is somewhere between you know um, children taking on the the mantle that their parents hand down or once again this idea of of uh, violence begetting violence or you know up from a stand up back position um, the idea of violence on the screen 
being reenacted by by children who see it as less than real and more that of entertainment. You can read quite a lot into it. I just think, particularly, Bava found it funny. And with most of his better movies, the, the playful nature of how his movies end are the things that people talked about when they ended up out in the street. Bava would handle um, the cinematography duties as well in this one, as he would do with a lot of his movies. That's his background, that's where he came from, and as a result, it is beautifully shot. I mean, wonderfully shot. Like, nuances between the, the, the kind of moonlight, dark and shadow, to the very serene and beautiful day shots around this bay. It all works hand in hand. So whilst this movie is maybe not necessarily 100% in its DNA a giallo movie, it certainly has that crossover and as a stepping point out with the genre to lead you into things like slashers or other horror movies, it's a great stepping stone away from the genre, which is why I selected it as the final title. If you've never seen it before, I can't recommend it enough. Please check it out. It is available through Arrow Video in the UK. I'm not sure who the US distributor is. And it's maybe not the most famous of Bava's movies, but it's one where I think it shows him at, like I said earlier, his most vicious and yet most playful. Some of the deaths are absolutely incredible. And if you give it a bit of a chance, I think it shall win you over. So that's our last movie review. And I know what you're thinking... Thank you for doing all this, Duncan. We've done 10 movies along beside you now and I might want to submit a review in for this one. However, I know what you're saying. You're basically now saying to us, that's awesome, but you're not back until next year and there's a brand new season started. Well, do not fret. You can still submit your review in for Bay of Blood, which will feature on the first episode of season number two. And you have plenty of time to do it. That episode will drop in the third week of January, on Friday, January the 22nd, which means you have until Monday, January the 18th, 2021, to get your review in for a bay of blood. I look forward to reading what you submit and announcing on that episode the journey that we will undertake for the next year, 2021, on Where to Begin With. Let's turn our attention to listener reviews and we have a few in for you today. This one is on the movie we covered last month, What Have You Done to Solange? So let's start with a written review that came in. So this review is in from Andrew Valdez who says, What have you done to Solange? That is the answer we seek in this dreamy, pretty and sleazy film from 1972 directed by Massimo Delamano. Fabio Tessi plays Enrico Rossini, a gym teacher at an all-girls high school who is quite popular amongst the female students. Rossini is not one to see no either as the film opens with him on a boat with one of his students as he seduces her. When the student spots another classmate of hers being murdered, it is Rossini that becomes the main suspect by the police. He seeks answers in order to clear his name. The police question him and continue to suspect him while more murders of female students are happening. We see these attacks, one gets drowned taking a bath, one is attacked and stripped and then her body is left out in the open. The title of the movie really takes its time to
to address itself, as the character of Solange isn't introduced to us till about the halfway point of the film. A few of the students seem to share a secret of what has been done to Solange. I get that 70s dreamy quality that many of the movies in this era share. The way it's shot, it's melodic score by Ennio Morricone. There is an interesting contradictory feeling that's often dreamy feel mixed with violence that is shown on screen. When the young women are killed, they are either often either already nude or stripped by their killer. You may ask why the students are the victim, but Eric Enrico himself uh, is suspected of the killings but is never a target himself. As the audience, are we to see him as the victim's hero of the story? The man who has an affair with his student? Again, while he is questioned about it, rarely do any of the authorities seem to find his behaviour abhorrent. The audience knows he is innocent, so there's never any reason to dislike him or question his motives. Even his wife doesn't seem bothered by it. I did enjoy this movie whilst acknowledging the elements of the story. I recall reviewers addressing the treatment of women in Ganja and Hess and I wonder if they will be just as critical of this movie and the way it depicts violence towards women in this way as well. Certainly, it isn't that we aren't used to seeing women victimised in slashers, but if you are my age, you can see these girls being old enough to be your own daughter. It can also make the film more effective. It's beautiful, but also disturbing, and that makes for a solid horror film. Thank you very much to Andrew Valdez for submitting his first review in for Where to Begin with Jallo. It's excellent to have you on board, uh, and hopefully you'll take part in Season 2. Let's turn our attention to a review submitted in from David Garrett Jr. Hello, Duncan and T-Putz Collective listeners. David Garrett Jr. here, back for where to begin with giallo and this time around we have what have you done to solange now this is a movie that i heard about on a few different podcasts and the title intrigued me just because i know this subgenre has such great titles at times so it really just kind of caught my attention and then of course this is one that i've been getting into a whole lot more of late duncan thanks to you and this show here but outside of that, I know I had heard some reviews that kind of went into this, but I didn't really remember a whole lot. And I don't believe that the director and co-writer here of Massimo Delamano is one that I really know a whole lot about. Now, what I like about this movie is that we start off here with a couple that are in a boat of Enrico and Elizabeth. Now, she witnesses a murder, but doesn't necessarily know what she saw. And I mean, we kind of have a little bit of misogyny here where... Enrico is kind of mad that Elizabeth is not letting, you know, him go farther and, you know, kind of shuts him down. But we end up learning later on, though, that she is a virgin and he is a married teacher of hers. So, I mean, there's some issues all around going with this thing, but I will kind of move on past that. But then from here, he ends up listening on the radio the next morning that there was a murder there, and then he starts to look into that. And this is where I kind of enjoy that we have kind of something that is a giallo trope where... Enrico starts to do an investigation. In this case, the police are telling him not to because at first he's a prime suspect because, I mean, he's pretty sloppy here. He drops his pen at the crime scene that he didn't know was a crime scene at the time. He goes back to the crime scene, which is something that a lot of people always talk about as an old adage that, you know, a criminal always returns to the scene of the crime. And then he ends up getting photographed there so his wife knows that he had went there. And 
What I do like here, though, is that he's the prime suspect, and he really has information that if he just goes ahead and shares it with the police, it'll actually clear his name. But at first, he doesn't want to do it because of the scandal that it'll create. But, I mean, he eventually has to give in. But interesting enough here, though, is that Inspector Barth, who is the guy heading up the investigation, he's not a bad or like a bumbling cop that we get here, though. He's actually doing some really good investigation, and a lot of times he can't go any farther with some of these things because not everybody has given him the full information that they have or are dealing with here. Now, with this, also has an interesting kind of little subplot here with... In the very beginning, with the title sequence and the opening credits, we get to see a group of young ladies riding their bikes. And I like how this is done where when we have the like theme song being played over top of it, so you can't really hear what they're saying. But we end up learning here is that these girls are all going to this private Catholic school of St. Mary's, but they kind of have this secret society here where on the surface, they all look like they're good Catholic young women that are you know going to confession and doing everything they should. But behind the scenes, we actually see that they're doing, like, drugs, partying with boys, and, you know, doing things that they probably shouldn't be doing for what their, you know, upbringing is and for their age. Now, a lot of them are still virgins, though. They actually haven't gone all the way with anybody, but there is some talks that they might have been engaging in lesbianism. Now, this movie is kind of pretty sleazy here with this, which, I'm not going to lie, it kind of made me enjoy it just a little bit more. Because we do get to see pretty much all the young women in this movie in, like, the showers and everything. I'm assuming they're all over the age of 18. I didn't do the research on it, but that's where I believe it will probably end up being. And what is interesting here, though, is that there is this main thing that has happened is they did have this other student that was going to their school who is portrayed by Camille Keaton of Solange Beauregard. Now, Enrico, as well as his wife, don't really know who she is. But they, this name pops up as they get later into the investigation, and this is a really kind of horrific thing, which makes sense as to why the killer is doing what he's doing, is that she ended up becoming pregnant because she is the one that did actually have sex with somebody, and then she was forced to have an abortion, which causes her to have a regression thing, which I thought was a kind of an interesting thing to play with. I do think it's a little bit odd that Solange starts to show back up. And, you know, as they get to that point in the investigation, not going to really hold it against the movie. And then the reveal to the killer, though, I think is really interesting. And I don't really feel like it's a cheat, so it does work for me. And it was one that had me guessing all the way up until the end. And then there's this talk about a, it was possibly a priest. And I like what they, you know, play back in with there. Now, if I do have an issue here, I like, I think the acting is good. That's not where my issue lies. I think Fabio Tessi plays a great, like, lead here. And I don't hate his performance at all. What I do have an issue with is the writing is that he no longer loves his wife and is cheating on her. But then they have this weird reconciliation when she learns that he never slept with Elizabeth. So, I mean, like I said, this has nothing to do with him or his performance or even with Karen Ball, who plays his wife in the movie. My issue more is just how this is written here. But I do think she does play the brooding wife throughout the beginning. I thought the Joaquin... Fuchsberg, who was the inspector, I thought he did a really good job. I thought all of the young women in this movie were solid as well. Again, I like the interesting cameo by Keaton. I think the effects in this movie are pretty subtle, which I don't really think hurts the movie at all in my case. I think there's some good cinematography to go along with it. I love the Ennio Morricone score for this movie. I think he did a great job with the selections that he kind of created for this movie. Not my favorite by him, but this is one, though, that, like, there are times where I would just kind of get lost in the music just because of how much of a master of his craft he was. 
So I think that's all I really kind of want to delve into for this movie here, Duncan. I ended up really enjoying this, and so I'm glad you also kind of threw this on here so I could finally, you know, move it up my list and give it a chance to watch it for, you know, having an actual reason to. So I actually came in with this being one that I think with subsequent viewings, now that I know how everything plays out, I can actually kind of start focusing on different things in the background. But I came in with this viewing as a 4.5 out of 5 on the T-Put scale. And just to kind of end this out here, I am kind of sad that this is coming to an end, Duncan, for our journey through, you know, Giallo and everything like that. But I am excited that the last one we're going to see is one that I have before with a Bay of Blood or the much better title of Twitch of the Death Nerve. It's been a few years since I've last seen it, so I'm excited to give it another go. So just to close everything out here, I'm excited to hear what your thoughts are on it, as well as to hear the thoughts of the other listeners that decide to participate. But this is David Garrett Jr. signing off. Thanks again to David Garrett Jr. for submitting in his review. Final review is from Kate Pollock, and Kate says... Hi, Duncan and T-Pucks Collective listeners. It's Kate Pollock here. Um, as usual, I hope everyone's keeping safe and stuff. Um, so this month we have got What Have You Done to Solange? Um, this was another first watch for me. I really had no idea about the movie um, going in. I hadn't watched any trailers. I hadn't you know, seen anything. Um, so for me, it was really interesting to see how everything unfolded. Um, there's a lot of twists and turns to this one, um, a few red herrings and whatnot. And it was really just quite exciting to go through that journey. Um, so yeah, so to, to start with, you know, I would say that this movie, you know, it's an hour and 45 minutes long. I think it's got a really good pace to it. Um, it's got really good mystery and right from the get go, we have this kill. Um, and from there, it's just, you know, we have this really great rhythm. Um, to sort of keep us entertained and, and intrigued. Um, the kills are, are brutal. Um, you know, the the majority of them are, are these girls being stabbed in the vagina. Um, and not only that, but the knife being left there. And they really don't hold back from showing you. I mean, we don't see the actual stabbing um, itself, but we see the after effect, you know, it's it's full frontal nudity, it's blood, it's knives up the vag. I mean, Jesus, you know, um, it's really full on. Um, and even though that this is a, that this type of kill is, is pretty much most of the kills that we see, I don't think it loses any of its shock factor. Um, factor. It, it, there's no sort of um, diminishing sort of effect on it, um, just because I think it is so savage. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, that only kind of like, um, not only does it propel us forward, but it actually sort of builds up to this kind of, this sort of climatic scene where we find out what happens to Solange and it's kind of like what we've had so far, but like tenfold. Um, and we see why these deaths are done this way and, and, you know, what happened to Solange. And it's basically, she has this back alley abortion forced upon her and, you know, she's held down by her friends, no less. And, you know, this made, we don't see it. We don't, again, like the kills, we don't see anything being inserted. Um, but, you know, she has this massive long needle, I think. And we see Solange being held down by her friends and we see her legs being held apart. And, you know, we see the maid, you know, ins insert this, this needle. Um, and then the camera sort of has this real kind of close-up of Solange's face and she's just screaming in agony and you know you don't really need to have much of an imagination to you know know what's happening or to imagine what that must feel like or anything and yeah I mean it's fucking brutal you know um and so 
you know, we get a lot of this um, this imagery and we have, you know, a lot of these kind of themes of women's sexuality and sexual freedom kind of come up. You know, obviously the, the kills, they're kind of, well, I mean, you know, in Jallo and, and, and slashes and things later on, you know, there's that typical trope of, you know, a woman who's sexually free and sexually active, you know, she's going to get stabbed and it's all very phallic and they get penetrated by the knife and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like that, but tenfold. It's like that on steroids kind of thing. Like, yeah, they're getting stabbed, but they're literally getting stabbed in the vagina. Um, and, you know, and obviously we have a very good reason for that, Um but yeah, it's it really plays on that trope and just takes it to sort of like, you know, level 11. Um, the one person who doesn't get killed like that, I think is quite interesting, um, is the character called Elizabeth. And although she is uh, complicit with the abortion and although she is having an affair with her teacher, um, she's still a virgin. And so instead of being stabbed, she um, she gets strangled and kind of, not to be crude, but remains intact. <laughs> um you know, and I just think that's quite an interesting twist on that because, again, you don't know really why she doesn't have the normal kind of way of killing and, and all the rest of it. And, you know, she still needs to be punished for her transgressions, for lack of a better term, but especially because, you know, the guy is sort of dressed like a priest and everything. Of course, it's the priest. Um, you know, he's dressed like a priest. So, you know, I guess in his mind, it would be like that, you know, she's being punished for her transgressions in that mind frame. Um but yeah, I just thought that was really interesting. And, um, you know, you get a lot of contrast as well, you know, with Solange, for example, you know, she's got this real, when we see her, she's this got this real kind of like childish, infantile sort of demeanour about her. Um, and it seems since that she's had this abortion, she's just sort of regressed. So it's kind of, you know, ironic that she's at this, she's, you know, very sexually active she's fairly you know what you would kind of call promiscuous or whatever and as a result she gets pregnant and and she has this abortion and you know it's kind of ironic that you know her being at the kind of the peak of her sexuality causes her to regress to this kind of innocent state um and you know that's kind of it's kind of interesting with all the girls you know although as i said like you know like Solange, she's they're all very kind of sexually active they're all at the precipice of being becoming women um you know and and really learning about themselves sexually and things but at the same time they're all very giggly and they're very excitable which is quite typical of more childish behavior and when dealing with with Solange's pregnancy there's a real kind of black and white innocence to um you know their thought process rather than taking a mature response and you know, um, I mean, this could also be to do with the times and things, you know, things were very different back then for women. Um, but, you know, they don't speak to a trusted ad advisor, like a professional. They don't go to a doctor or anything. They don't even go to their parents or anything like that. They go to the maid. Um, you know, it's kind of akin to sort of going to your aunt or to your best friend's mum, like someone who you trust but won't have a go at you kind of thing, um, which kind of reminds me, you know, when you kind of get into trouble and rubbish and stuff when you're like a kid, you know, like 10 years old or whatever, just like, oh, no, don't tell my mum. Like, oh, let's go, let's go to your house instead and whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Um <laughs> so yeah it's it's sort of quite interesting how there's this sort of bridge that these girls are um are sort of straddling I guess for lack of a better term um you know between childhood and and womanhood um and I just yeah I think it's very interesting um so moving on from that you know we've got this score which uh you know it's a Ernie Morricone score and um you know as to be expected from him it's it's a fantastic score um there's not really a lot to say about that I just really enjoyed these um 
moments where you get these like off kilter piano notes and they sort of contrast with this sort of like swirling distorted sort of voice voices I guess I think the voices and it's all very distorted and um, it's really great for just building that tension and suspense and um, I just yeah I just think it's really well done but as I said that's not to be unexpected um, yeah and uh, you know cinematography um, I cannot got a great deal to say but it was just it was just generally consistently very good what I did sort of notice was how you know when we have these um, scenes of places that are typically um more tranquil and serene you know like outdoors by the river in the woods and such you know they're um broken up by um these horrific acts of violence um and i just thought that was a really nice kind of contrast um between the sort of serenity of the scene and, and the brutality of what's happening on screen um one thing I would say, I thought it was really interesting about the killer um, and his motivations. Um, so it's Solange's dad and um, it's one of those sort of rare occasions that I've not really had with this genre before where I actually kind of feel empathy for the killer. Like, I want it to be one of those things where it's like, oh, well, you know, because I'm a parent, <clears throat> you know, but, you know, I am a parent. So <laughs> I, I do kind of. I understand that kind of protectiveness and wanting to get revenge for your daughter kind of thing, you know, if something like that happened to her. Um, and not that it's justified, but, you know, it's, yeah, I, th I think it's very much understandable. Um, so I thought that was quite interesting. And it's, it's almost, you know, at a, uh, a side note, at, at, by the time we find out who it is, because we you know we've had this scene where Solange has, has had this abortion and it's so brutal and we just feel so sorry for her. And, you know, so when we kind of find out that, yeah, he's the killer, it's kind of like, yeah, you know, um, that's fair enough. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, one thing that I thought was quite interesting is that I just, a lot of the cast, not the cast, but a lot of the characters, I didn't really find very likeable. Um, especially Enrico, our main protagonist, you know, he's a bit of a jerk. He's very um, misogynistic. He's not a good husband at all. You know, he's having this, I mean, oh, you know, this whole thing of his affair, not only is he having an affair, but he's having an affair with an 18-year-old. He's barely legal. And she's a student of his, no less. It's just, it's awful. Um, and to boot his wife is a teacher at the same school so you know it's yeah it's just <laughs> really awful um and then he also doesn't treat her very well either um you know he sort of accuses her of making excuses because she's um you know not wanting to have sex with him because she thinks she's just seen someone be attacked you know <laughs> so oh, were you just making excuses it's like all right um you know so I sort of found him a bit I don't know I just I didn't really care about him very much, you know, which is not really what I want from from my protagonist. But um, one thing I did find quite interesting, though, is how, um, you know, we we go through this journey of finding out about these girls, this sort of gang of girls. And, you know, we see them first off and they're riding their bikes and it's all very kind of happy and, you know, um, they're having fun and stuff like that. And then as we go on and we see them being sort of off one by one in these really horrific ways, um, you know, we're feeling really sorry for them we want to know what's happened oh my gosh what's happening to these girls these poor girls and then when we find out why it's like oh well they're dicks <laughs> you know? um so it's quite it's it was quite interesting I thought and um and I just thought it was quite quite yeah quite cool um how that kind of got you to flip like that I mean not that again not that it's justified 
justifies what happened to them but you know you don't really feel so sorry for them anymore because you're like well <laughs> that wasn't very nice what you did was it um so yeah but apart from that yeah that's kind of everything I have to say on it I just thought it was a really interesting really well put together film really intriguing um there's a couple of red herrings I thought you know the wife was an obvious one um you know there's a few others here along the way and things but um you know there's so there's such little that sort of refers to what ha- actually happened to Solange that when it comes at you it it really does kind of you know take you by surprise and I thought it was just really effective and, and well done there um so yeah I think yeah my score uh it's going to be a 4.5 out of 5 um it didn't for me it didn't have quite the same power factor as something like Deep Red but um definitely a film that I want to check out again I might even see if I can get a blu-ray probably an arrow blu-ray of it um and I want to definitely recommend to others so yeah 4.5 um out of 5 for me um so thanks very much Duncan for another excellent title looking forward to hearing everyone else's reviews as usual and um catch you next time bye thanks very much to Kate for sending in her review and thanks to everyone who has sent in a review this year to take part in our first season of where to begin with looking at Jallo Cinema Next year, we will run a brand new season. We will be running through a brand new topic and I'll be outlining about 10 episodes of movies that I think will give you a good grounding, a great footing, so to speak, in that genre. With a list of movies you can check out, submit your reviews in and we can cover on this show. Remember, your reviews for Bay of Blood need to be in for January the 18th. That is a Monday the third Monday of the month. Submit it in, it'll be read on the first episode of the new season. But yeah, thank you very much for all the support. Thank you for subscribing to the Teapots Collective as well. Uh, This is one of several shows that I do over here and it's great that you guys have come across and checked them out. And I have been supporting the stuff that we've been putting out as well, which are ostensibly new shows to try and see how we, we navigate other topics that I just don't get to on podcasts under the stairs. So yeah, for the final time this year, let me remind you that in a Jalo movie, anyone could be a killer, even you.